0: Okay, well, I'm going to start this morning by um, by getting you to activate your imagination, that, um, that kind of part of your brain that um, projects into the future. I'm going to get you to do something really radical this morning, um, and that is I'd like you just to think. I know that's a novel, uh, a novel idea when you come to church. Normally, uh, church is not a place where you're encouraged to think. Uh, you're told uh, to just absorb but I want you to think and activate your imagination this morning I'm going to ask you a couple of questions and um, the first one is what would a, uh, a better version of you look like what would a better version of you look like I know what um, some of you that uh, have a partner, married, um, you've probably got some ideas of what a better version of your your spouse might look like. But I'm not asking you to do that this morning. I'm asking you to envisage what a better you would look like. Would you be uh, perhaps a little more generous, a little more kind, perhaps a bit more serving, a bit more gracious? Maybe um, you'd like to be a little bit more vocal and a bit more assertive, or, on the contrary to that, you might be a little feel like you need to kind of pull back a little bit and, and not quite as, as out there, whatever. So have a think about that, and then the second question is, how would you or how do you think you would get from where you are right now. To become this new. An improved version of yourself? What would you have to do to get from where you are right now... ...to become that new and improved version of yourself? That, that person that you would like to be? That, that person that you could see yourself being? What mechanism would you um, implement to help you become a better you? Do you think you need to pray more? Uh, do you think you need to try harder... Do you think that you need to put in uh, a bit more effort and perhaps um, um, a bit more determination would enable you to become the better you? Oh, I'd, I'd be interested in, in knowing what you think. What are some of the, what are some of the improvements that you would, uh, would want to see in your life? Who wants to disclose? (laughs) We won't ask Natalie. Less selfish. Less selfish. Get to church on time. time. That would be helpful. That would be helpful. Particularly if you're the preacher. This new improved, better version of it. How how are you going to make that journey to being less selfish and more punctual? Are you going to just try? Are you going to try harder? Are you going to put in a bit more effort? Are you going to get out of bed a little bit earlier, or is it all Paul's fault and uh, change the way that you think? It's a good start. Less less of me and more of more of others, so I become more others-focused. That's good. Well, we're we're on a journey, and we're coming to the end of our of our. Series on 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we've come to verses 23 and 24. We're not quite finished yet, um, uh, but this is kind of coming towards the end. And um, these couple of verses here are really quite profound. They say, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless, Until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again, God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. When I got you to think about um, what a new and improved version of you would be like, and as I got, got you to think through how you might move from where you are right now and become a better you. What I was actually getting you to think about and engage in was um, was what what the Bible calls holiness, or what the Bible calls sanctification, which is a big Bible word, um, and we'll come and we'll unpack that a little bit later on. But what we're talking about is this thing called holiness. This us moving and being transformed and becoming a better version of of who we are. And for us who are Christians, uh, becoming a better us means becoming more and more like Jesus, progressively shedding our selfishness and becoming more like Christ, who is the embodiment of unselfishness. And so what we're going to do this morning, I'm sure whenever I I say that word holiness, um, there are going to be varying responses. And for some of you, it's going to be, oh my God, he's going to tell us we have to try harder. Oh my God, he's going to tell us we have to read our Bible more. Oh my God, it means um, I'm going to have to pray harder and longer than I've ever done before in order that this new and improved Christ-like version of me might become a reality. Well, can I say to you this morning, just take a deep breath and relax because we're not going to go there this morning. In, in my, my experience, there are many um, sincere Christians who have or live with a distorted view of what holiness is and how we become holy people, how we become a better version of who we are right now and primarily when we think of holiness there is this this tendency to automatically go into this mode where we think that it's all about our external behavior what we what what we do how we live our lives and holiness does eventually outwork itself in the way that we conduct ourselves however that's not where this journey of what the Bible calls sanctification uh, begins. The process of becoming more like Jesus and, and embracing a lifestyle of holiness begins on the inside. It's actually an issue of the heart. I love this story. I, I want you to imagine for a minute there's a, this, this dog that sits on the veranda we could bring we could bring one or two down and give you give you a, actually a living example. Um, a dog sits on the veranda and it sits there quite quite uh, content until. Uh, the dog hears the sound of the postman 's uh, motorbike coming down the street, then it gets all excited because when the postman pulls up on his motorbike outside of the house, that little dog runs down the, down down the path and the first thing that that little dog does is he sinks its teeth into the postman 's leg and Every day the postman comes by, that little dog races down down the, down the pathway and bites the postman's leg. Now, as you can imagine, the postman's not too happy about this. He has to get stitches on a regular basis. And So what the owner does is takes that little dog and ties it to the veranda and puts a muzzle on it. And so every day from then on in, the postman comes down the road, puts the mail in the mailbox, and you know the good news is? That dog doesn't bite the postman's leg anymore. Isn't that fantastic? What a good dog. What a transformed dog. I want to tell you that little dog sits on the veranda and every day from that moment on, it sits there lusting after the postman's leg. It can't bite the postman's leg, but boy, does it want to. And do you know what we have done in the church is what we have offered people is a muzzle and a chain. We've said, you come to Jesus and we will muzzle you really well. You come to Jesus and we'll, we'll tether you to the veranda and you know what? You will, you will never do the things that you used to do anymore. And we come to church and we, 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 we look the part, but you know what we have primarily, I'm not saying exclusively, but primarily in the church, is we have a community of essentially muzzled people. Don't bite the postman's leg. Don't drink, don't chew, and don't go around with girls who do. (laughs) But boy, do they want to. Or boy, do they do it, but do they do it in secrecy so that nobody really gets them gets to see them as they really are. And I want to tell you, if that is the best that we can come up with in the Christian church, is a muzzle and a chain to transform people's behavior, which is what the church has done for a long, long time. If that's the best we can come up with, then there is something significantly and seriously wrong. Because Christianity offers us a transformed life, which begins with us experiencing a transformed heart. And what God works on the inside of us will ultimately work its way out in terms of our behaviour. Has, has that been anybody's experience other than my own in terms of feeling muzzled and chained? You can... You can feel free to respond. And so, please, when I start to talk about holiness, please, please hear my heart. We are not talking about how to muzzle you and chain you to the veranda while you secretly lust after some form of postman's leg. All right? When we talk about holiness, where, where or I am anyway, I frame holiness within the context of beauty. The Bible says, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. See, what holiness is, is holiness actually has its origin or its source, its beginning in the character and nature of God. And you are not going to find a more beautiful being, a beautiful person than God. As Josh was sharing in scripture uh, uh, this morning about uh, what was it when we, to look at, look at Jesus or to see Jesus is to see God. You are not going to find a more beautiful, well-rounded, complete being like the person of Jesus, who represents for us the face of God. And core to God's character, core to God's nature, which is uh, here within the context of introducing us to a, how we begin to live a life of holiness, it says, now may the God of the God of peace. And so there are many, many attributes to the character and nature of God. God is loving, God is is good. But one of the core attributes of God is the peace of God. That God is a God of peace. And we looked at this in the, it, it, quite early on in our, in our look at 1, one Thessalonians f- chapter 5. Because the Old Testament word for peace is the Hebrew word shalom. The God is the God of shalom. And what shalom is, it, 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 is, it is harmony or completion or it, it means to be, to be flourishing in every area of one's life. And so God is a God who is complete or who is whole, a God who, who, who flourishes in every area of, of their being. And the word shalom, if you were to kind of really drill it down, it means this, shalom is nothing broken, nothing missing. And so when we talk about holiness, we're talking about something that's really quite beautiful. It is to to experience a state in which the pieces of our lives, the fragmented pieces of our lives, the damaged areas of our lives are actually healed and restored and reworked so that there's nothing broken and nothing is missing. The other thing that we need to do is, when we think about the subject of holiness, is to think of holiness in the context of loving relationships. You see, we tend, uh, because of the culture and the society that we live in, we, we tend to think of ourselves as, and we are individuals, we in, but we individualize everything. We individualize holiness. But I want to tell you that holiness has actually got to do with how we relate to those who are around about us, those who are in our, in our circle of influence, here within church, within our families, within our workplaces. And you know what? If you really want to know how holy I am, what you just need to do is, is observe the measure of healthy relationships I have. I can, I can tell by spending, if I was to spend a day with you, I could tell you how holy you are. Because holiness is not measured by external stuff. It's got to do with our attitude and the way that we, we engage with those who are in our world, how we relate to them. And so we, we need to establish right measures of holiness. Holiness is how we treat others. It's, it's actually about being, at the end of the day, being less holy selfish. And then the other thing that we need to do is understand that holiness should be seen as something which is relative to a person's story. There's a wonderful wonderful story I heard, and this really helped me as a new Christian. I was a new Christian, and I heard a a pastor share this story on a tape in America. He was a pastor in New York City. And uh, one day, um, one of his uh, new converts uh, came and... Came to his office, all excited, and he said, "Pastor, pastor, I've got some really good news for you. Can I, can I share what's just happened with me?" And the pastor says, "Yes, come on and sit down. What, what's taken place? Why are you so excited?" And this guy says, "Man, I was, uh, as American, um, kind of black American, black African American. I can't do the accent, but just use your imagination for a moment." And he's all excited. He says, "Man, you won't believe what I was down. I was just down at the subway, and this guy came and he." Try to mug me. And he says, You know what I did? And the pastor said, What did you do? He said, I pulled out my gun and I shot him in the leg. Praise the Lord. The pastor was absolutely horrid. He said, you, you did what? You shot him in the leg? And the guy said, Yeah, wow glory to God isn't that fantastic and the pastor says oh you're gonna have to kind of explain this to me a little bit more in depth because I don't quite get how this is such a great story that you've just kind of shot somebody in the leg and the guy says well 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 pastor you know before I met Jesus if that guy had have, have mugged me you know what I would have done he said I would have pulled out my gun and I would have shot him in the head But Jesus has so transformed my life now. I I realize, I I, I realize the value of human life, and I kind of like I need to teach him a lesson. So I, I don't want him to go around mugging people anymore. So I shot him in the leg. Now for him, that was sanctification. That was the development of Christ-like character in his life. Now for us, we laugh and we go, man, that's a bit out there. But you know, we've got to understand or see holiness within the context of people's story. Because what we have a tendency to do is impose our standards and our rules of holiness on others. And if we've come from a nice middle-class Christian background, what's appropriate for us and what is appropriate for someone else who hasn't had perhaps the upbringing and, and the environment that we have experienced or enjoyed, for us we can look down upon them and, and measure, measure their life by a standard that God doesn't measure their life which makes us quite judgmental. And we can equate it, you know, at the end of the day, holiness or the development of maturity has actually got to do with where we are on our journey. And so as a parent, for example, my expectations of my children when they were young and my expectations of them now I I ought to be, you know, there are certain things that you you don't anticipate a two-year-old to do because they're two-year-old there. But when they draw a picture, as a parent, you go, wow, isn't that fantastic? It's just so beautiful because it's what they're capable of in the context of their age and their development. But as they grow into greater levels of maturity, and their skill and their experience begins to, to add to their life, they're able to, if you like, as a metaphor, paint a better picture with their life. And so there's a different expectation or anticipation you have based on where a person's at in their story. And so while some of us may kind of go, well, that's the, I, I don't like the idea of holiness being relative, I think if you dig in the Scripture, you will find that that is actually how God relates to us. It talks about little children, young men, and older men. In other words, there are there are points of progression on our walk in our journey, and we can be a mature or a, a developed, well-developed young child or a well-developed young man. Or a well-developed older person. But we need to take into context when we think about holiness, about one another's stories, and then we also need to frame this thing of holiness or this thing of trans- transformation into our uh, into the likeness of Christ. It needs to be framed within the context, and I'm going to use two two other biblical big biblical words, needs to be framed within the context of justification and glorification. So at the moment we're talking about holiness or this thing of sanctification which is the process or our journey of becoming more Christ-like. Now we need to understand sanctification within the framework of two things. One within the framework of justification which I'll explain and glorification. Let's look at a a scripture. In Romans 8.30 it says, And those he predestined, he also called, those he he called, he also justified. Now the word justified, uh, you've probably heard this as as an example before. Justified means, means to be just as if I'd never sinned. It means to be in this place of right standing with God. For those of you who have been around for a little while, um, I love the word uh, righteousness in the pidgin English, which means God, he say, me, all right. Righteousness is God, he say, me, all right. That's what it means to be justified. It means to be in a place of right standing with God, by which God makes a declaration over our lives, which he affirms us, and we, we... We have that truth buried securely within our hearts and we are established as a people who are justified, not on the basis of what we do or don't do, but on the basis of what Christ has done on our behalf. And so we are justified. We are made righteous. We begin our Christian life the moment we say yes to Jesus. In that moment in time, you become a justified, a just as if I'd never sinned person it's our position. On the other end of the scale on this side is those he justified, he also glorified. Justification has got to do with our past. Our glorification has got to do with our future. It's got to do with what awaits us when Christ returns. When Jesus comes back, which the Bible says he will, when Christ comes back, the good work which God begun in our justification will be brought to its fulfillment when in that moment at the return of Jesus, we will be made perfect. We will be glorified. There is a moment that awaits us who have been justified. A moment in the future will come when we will take on perfection. I'm I'm excited about that. You don't have to be, but I am. We will be glorified. That That is what we look forward to. And in between our justification, our past, and between our glorification, our future, we live in this place of sanctification. It's a place of tension where the reality of our perfection of our future we don't yet experience that but we look forward to it and we're in this place of of working towards our glorification and that place in which we live is called our sanctification there's a great uh, a, a guy that I just love, a, 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 a guy called uh, Tim Keller, and he pastors a church in, uh, I think it's in New York, and uh, he's written a great book. If you'd never read another book this year, you must read the book *Prodigal*, the *Prodigal God*. You must—it's a must-read book. And Tim Keller says that our sanctification, or this process of transformation, that takes place in our life, he said, um, is sanctification is continually reorienting reorientating ourselves to our justification in other words he says for us to live a sanctified life we must always keep reorientating ourselves to our past to our position as a justified person does that make sense and I agree with that. I love that. I just want to take that one step further. It's re- reorientating ourselves to our justification. That is, we look to the past and what God has already done and what God has already declared over our lives. But what we also do is we reorientate ourselves also to our glorification. We begin to ponder and think about the new and improved version of, of ourselves, made in the image and likeness of God. And as we begin to, see this is how I think holiness is worked out in our lives. We think about what, about what God has done and what God will do. And within that context, within that framework, something begins to happen within us, in the here and now. But we do live in this place of tension where the reality of the declaration of God over our lives, just as if I'd never sinned, and the ultimate fulfillment of that promise in our glorification, we live in this twilight zone, this tension of um, we are not yet what we have been declared to be and what we one day will become. So if we're already justified and we will one day be glorified, what's the point of being worrying about being sanctified? Well, let me tell you, on a personal level, as you grow into greater levels of wholeness and completeness, as you take on more of the the, the character and nature of God, of Christ-likeness in your life, it does bring rich personal benefits to you. And it also enhances your relational capacity. It means that you're far more likely to have healthy and whole relationships. And also, in addition to that, the reason why sanctification is, is something that we should embrace despite the fact that our justification and our glorification are assured, is that our future reward is actually determined by how faithful we are with what God gives us in this life. And so while we will all one day be glorified, not all of us will actually receive the same level or measure of reward. It's not a competition. It's just God says, you know, those... Of us who are faithful, we will receive a crown, and so there are different measures of reward that come to us we will all be glorified, but we will not all receive the measure of reward and That measure of reward is dependent upon our, our faithfulness in our working our sanctification, the sanctification or transformative process and while that 's good, personal benefits. Um, relational benefits and it's kind of nice to think that if we're faithful with what we're given that it will provide us with some eternal reward crown, which at the end of the day we lay at the feet of Christ anyway so it's probably not a big deal but can I say that the thing, and Louise and I were talking about this yesterday, what is it that motivates us to live a sanctified life? I reckon that becoming a better version of us and the thing that motivates that in our life is that we, as the people of God, are called to represent God to a watching world. But the thing that undermines our story and our message as the body of Christ is so often the fact our message is tainted by lives that are less than Jesus-like, less than Christ-like. And so for me, the motivation, while there's personal, relational, and eternal um, reward involved, actually, it really, it's by becoming a better version of me, I am able to better represent the king and his kingdom to a watching world. Because the thing that undermines my message is actually my life, and that that should put pressure on us. But it does provide something of a framework for us persevering with sanctification, when what we could do, if we wanted to, is rest in our justification, in our anticipated glorification. Does that make sense? Is that helpful? The Bible indicates that this transformative process, this holiness, this sanctification, is both our responsibility and God's responsibility. And for us, practically, there are some things that we can do to um, to facilitate the development in Christ's likeness in our lives. Firstly... um, Sanctification is cultivated in our lives by, by worship and by contemplation or by reflection. On the character and nature of God, two Corinthians chapter three. I don't know if I've got it here or not. No, uh, two Corinthians chapter three verse eighteen, and it says, "And we, with unveiled faces, all contemplate or behold the Lord's glory." So we see worship is not just about singing songs. Worship is about, about. Reflecting, about contemplating, about beholding God, who God is. Shalom, justice, love, goodness. And it says, as as we behold the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. We have a really good friend. Uh, He came to our church um, uh, when we were in Newcastle. Uh, he had been a highly successful uh, business person. We used to laugh because um, he could have, uh, we could have sold our house and we would have been able to purchase half of his swimming pool. That's how wealthy he was. And uh, it was a $400,000 swimming pool or something like that that he, that he had. And he drove a Porsche and beautiful house overlooking uh, the beach and stuff like that. And he had a breakdown. Uh, his life fell apart. Lost his business. Lost his marriage. And uh, he, this person, was highly became highly dysfunctional from being a very, um, very effective business person. He lost. I actually took him to uh, the mental hospital on one occasion. It was it was really difficult. And so he was this man who was on medication and uh, we, we spent time with him and, and part of his journey. Decided to um, uh, move from where he was living uh, to another city. And I would keep regular contact with, uh, with this person. We'd just chat on the phone. And one day I spoke to him on the phone and I knew I was speaking to a new person. I won't tell you his name, but I said, hey, what... Has happened to you? I said, "Don't." I don't mean to be rude, but you sound normal. And he says, "I know." I said, "What's happened? What What's taken place?" He said, "Steve, I've just worshipped. I've just worshipped God. I've got myself into a, at a church that values worship, and as I've worshipped God week after week after week, God has healed me, and He's transformed me." and the addic- addictive issues that I had, and the personality problems I had, they've all gone. What There is a biblical principle. What we behold, we become. What we behold, we become. The other thing that we can do practically to facilitate this journey of, of our transformation into likeness is, in Colossians it talks about us putting on. It says put on a whole bunch of things love and humility and uh, kindness and that kind of thing. And this is what I interpret that to mean to put on. And this is a practice that I've applied to my own life. I'm not a particularly practical person when it comes, but if, if, we, if I was to uh, make a concrete slab, okay, what we would begin with is some timber. Um, framework. We'd knock up a timber framework. And it would be pretty rough. But that t- timber framework would provide the shape in which the concrete truck could come and pour the concrete into. And this is how I apply this put-on principle in my life. There was a, 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 a close family member um, that we, we have that um, I couldn't stand. And um, I made it quite clear that I didn't like this person. And this person was very easy to um, goad and get a reaction from. And it, and it wasn't very Christ like. And I came to a place of conviction saying, I really don't like this person. And the way that I'm treating them is not really good. I'm stuck with this person forever. You know, I'm not referring to Louise or my kids, just in case you're thinking, oh, it's talking about Louise. So I said to Louise, babe, I'm, I'm going to have to put on love. I just don't love this person, but I'm going to put on love. So I said to her, you make sure that I never criticize that person again and make sure that I, will, that I compliment them and say nice things to them. And so what I did whenever I saw them, which was on a regular basis, I would say, hey, you're looking great today. You know, so good to see you. Man, um, you know, just... Whatever I could say positively, I would, I would say and I would kind of affirm them. What I was doing, I was, I was building a framework. To the best of my ability, I was loving that person. It was rough and there were times I was still frustrated with them and, and kind of I'd feel the angst as I knew we were going to see them. And, but I would, was determined to put on love. you know, after a period of time, I forgot about the putting on and my heart attitude had changed. Something supernatural had occurred where God had come as I'd created the framework, the formwork. God had come with the concrete of his love and the shape that I'd prepared for him in faith, he filled with the real thing. And we can apply that principle. If you get frustrated in traffic, put on <laughs> patience. You know, the, you know what I'm saying. Just apply that principle to your life. They're just two practical things that I think that we can do to facilitate our transformation. But can I tell you, ultimately? It is God who does the sanctification work within our lives. It says, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Relax, because God will make this happen. For he who calls you is faithful. Do you know I can put on? Do you know that I can, um, I can worship? And, and, and I should and we should and they're good and they do facilitate something of the transformative process. But can I tell you at the end of the day, any resulting transformation into the image and likeness of Christ is ultimately the work of God. And while we do get to contribute, it, it, contribute in that process in some way, our holiness is ultimately something which God commits himself to undertake in our lives. And that we, and this is going to sound heretical to some, but can I just say this: that the key for some of us is to actually just learn how to rest. In Exodus thirty-one, I'm going to finish on this. This is God speaking to Moses. Says, and the Lord said to Moses, "Say to the Israelites, you must observe my sabbaths." Now, what is the Sabbath? Sabbath is a day, or a time, or a season of rest. It's where we cease from activity. It's where we cease from striving. But by, and however that Sabbath might look for us, Sabbath is not only a ceasing from rest, it is a declaration, ceasing from work, sorry, it is ultimately a declaration of our dependence upon God. Now listen to this. I flippin' love this. I just came across this the other day and I'm jumping out of my skin. You must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. How does God make us holy? God says, look... Observe the Sabbath. Now, that's not just rest. It's actually the spirit of Sabbath is resting in order to declare our faith and trust and dependence upon God's ability to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Is that is that, is that cool? How cool is that? Imagine what it would be like for us as a community if we learned to live in the reality of Sabbath. Are we just dependent upon God? And that God, in that process, makes us a holy people. He makes us more like his son because we trust and depend upon him. Yeah, sure, we worship. And I think worship is actually a way of rest or dependence. And even the putting on is actually a practical form of dependence. Is saying, God, I'll do whatever I can, but unless you come with your stuff, this is worthless. And so what I'm saying to you, for those of you who find yourself in the trap, the religious trap of working to make yourself holy, give up and trust God. He who began a good work in you will bring it through to completion. Thus endeth... Throw some stuff at me, questions or comments or observations. Tell me more about well, we can we can approach Sabbath from a legalistic perspective. That is, from sundown on Friday evening or whatever, whether it's a Sunday, whatever. We take a a time to cease from activity, and I think there is there is truth within that. What you must remember though, Sabbath was always done in community. It was a time for the community to relax and to enjoy God and to focus on Him. But the spirit of of Sabbath is actually a declaration of dependence upon God because what we're saying is, I can't labor. See, labor, we say labor produces fruit, doesn't it? Labor enables us to Uh, receive back a return but what God called the nation of Israel to was a day which was not just a day it was to reflect an attitude of life to establish them in an attitude of life by which they said God we ultimately recognize that you are the giver of all good gifts and that you are the source of things and our resting from or our striving from activity is our declaration of our dependence upon you to come through and make provision for us when we're not working? There's, that's in a kind of a nutshell. It became, they made it that way. But when you see what Jesus did, when Jesus came, um, look, I'm so excited by this. I'll going to unpack this a little bit further in in the next few weeks, um, but just to say that when Jesus Jesus came and he says um, the 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 Sabbath, um, well, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. In other words, I don't believe that um, that Sabbath, as God intended, it, was to be a day of restriction. It was meant as it became for the Jews, and for many Jews, is still the case, where they impose upon themselves a list of rules and regulations. Um, that is a burden, and Jesus re- released people from that burden. But the principle of, of working for, from a place of rest is the key to fruitfulness and effectiveness in life, and I'll, I'll teach on that in the coming weeks. Anything else? I feel that every day should be as a Sabbath, a day of the Lord. Mm. And we should act in that manner throughout our lives, not just set aside one day of the week that we might be holy. We should endeavor to be holy every day of our lives. Thanks, Graeme. That's great. It's a, and and the, the establishment of a day was meant to lead into a lifestyle, a mindset, a, a posture from which we launch into our daily lives. Thanks, mate. Yes, mate? Um, one of the points that I missed out was in my notes, but I'm kind of thinking I need to... Is I, A few weeks ago, I talked about a Kairos moment, and that is um, identifying when the voice of God into our lives. And this is where I believe holiness is an individualistic thing, okay? despite what I've said earlier, in the sense of holiness is actually helping people to hear the voice of God for their lives and then helping them to respond to that. So it's identifying the kairos moments, where those opportune moments, and then saying, Jesus, what are you saying to me? And in response to that, what am I now doing with what you're saying to me? And so in response to that, say in my situation with a particular family member where I kind of created the framework for for love, the love of God to be developed, was that was, became clear because I felt convicted by the Holy Spirit that my attitude towards this person was, was very ungodly and destructive and it needed to change. And so I responded to that and there was fruit. So part of this journey of holiness is helping one another discern or determine what Jesus is saying to us. Yeah, and that message is on the the church website. Guys, uh, uh, God's great goal for all of our lives is to become Christ-like. Therefore, my role and responsibility as a church pastor is to help facilitate God's dream for your life. I could stand up here and tell you that holiness is abstaining from this and not touching that and not doing the other and all those kinds of things, and I could place a muzzle on you and I could tether you to the, the veranda or I can share with you what I think is a more liberating and ultimately a more effective way of engaging with this process of sanctification. Don't forget you're justified. Don't lose sight of the fact that one day you'll be glorified. Live with the tension of that not that not being quite a reality for you just yet, learn to hear the voice of Jesus in your world. Um, put on worship, etc., 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 but ultimately, live in a place of Sabbath rest by which you depend upon God to make you holy. And it says, spirit, soul, and body. In other words, every area of your life, God wants to touch and transform. Amen. Come, on, let's um, stand this morning and. Um, if you need prayer, um, we would love to pray with you this morning, either in relationship to what's being shared or any other issue. And uh, we'll pray with you. But let's stand and finish our service this morning by uh, putting ourselves in a place by which the benediction, the blessing can just rest upon us as we leave our service this morning. Until we meet again. May Jesus himself and God, our Father, who reached out in love and surprised us with gifts of unending help and confidence, put a fresh heart in you, invigorate your work and enliven your words. Amen. Amen. Oh, thank you.